Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. So today is January 27th, 2021 in New York at the Bhakti Center. And I wish I was there in person. Uh, this is over the internet. And we'll be reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 8, Chapter 22, Bali Maharaj Surrenders His Life, Text 25. I actually do have a PowerPoint on Bali Marsh, but not on this one verse. If you like, I don't know. If you like, maybe we could go through that at the end. Would that be all right? That would that would be okay. Yeah, fine. All right. So, do you um? Yada karachya jivatma samsaram nija karma bhi nana yoni Purushim gati mavrajet. Yada, when. Kajachit, sometimes. Jiva atma, the living entity. Samsaran, rotating in the cycle of birth and death. Nija karma bihi, because of his own fruitive activities. Nana yoni shu, in different species of life. Anishaha, not independent, completely under the control of material nature. I am this living entity, Purushagatim, the situation of being human. Avrajet wants to obtain. Srila Prabhupada's translation. While rotating in the cycle of birth and death again and again in different species because of his own fruit of activities, the dependent living entity, by good fortune, may happen to become a human being. This human birth is very rarely obtained. Srila Prabhupada's purport. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is fully independent. Thus, it is not always a fact that a living being's loss of all opulence is a sign of the Supreme Lord's mercy upon him. The Lord can act any way he likes. He may take away one's opulence, or he may not. There are varieties of forms of life and the Lord treats them according to the circumstances as he chooses. Generally, it is to be understood that the human form of life is one of great responsibility. Purusha prakriti stohi bhumteva prakriti jan gunan karanam gunasangasya sadasadhyoni janmashu. The living entity in material nature follows the ways of life, enjoying the three modes of nature. This is due to his association with that material nature, Thus he meets with good and evil amongst various species. Bhagavad Gita 13.22 After thus rotating through many, many forms of life in the cycle of birth and death, the living being gets a chance for a human form. Therefore, every human being, especially one belonging to a civilized nation or culture, must be extremely responsible in his activities. He should not risk degradation in the next life. Because the body will change to Tadehantara Praptir, we should be extremely careful. To see to the proper use of life is the purpose of Krishna consciousness. The foolish living entity declares freedom from all control, but factually he is not free. He is fully under the control of material nature. He must therefore be most careful and responsible in the activities of his life. Yada kadachit jivatma samsaram nijakarma bihi nana yoni shvanisho yam Purushim Gatim Avrajet, while rotating in the cycle of birth and death again and again 
In different species, because of his own fruit of activities, the dependent living entity, by good fortune, may happen to become a human being. This human birth is very rarely obtained. Now, in order to understand this verse, we really need to look at the verse verse right before it and the verse right afterward. And the verse right before it, uh, this is a, a very famous verse, right? Ramamyan Anugrinami. Uh, this is a verse that Srila Prabhupada said gave him solace after his business failed and his family rejected him in so many things, where Krishna says that he shows special favor to a person by taking away his opulences. And of course, uh, this verse is very relevant in the case of Bali Maharaj here, who has been arrested by the Lord... <laughs> Uh, even though he offered his head. (laughs) So he offered all of his possessions, and then he offered his head, and even then he was arrested. And Balimara said, you know, this isn't proper for you to treat me like this. And then Krishna replies, if I favor someone, I take away his opulences. Then after today's verse, it's saying here that if someone has opulences and uses them properly, that's really the favor of the Lord. And Prabhupada says here that having everything taken away is not mercy. Having all opulences and using them properly, that's a higher mercy. So in between these two verses is today's verse. And again, we really need to have this context where the Lord's speaking to Bali, and he's also speaking to Prahlad and Brahma and Bali's wife, who've all spoken here. He's talking about that people get their destiny by their karma. People get their destiny by their karma. Uh, Vishnu Chagavati Thakur's comment, there's not very many commentaries on this verse by our Acharyas, but Vishnu Chagavati Thakur is saying that the reason that the Lord is saying this in between these other two verses is that his mercy is very hard to understand. First he says, if I really like you, I take everything away. Then he says, you know, this human life is very rare and you're rotating in the cycle of birth and death. It's fortunate to be a human being. And what's really merciful is if you have all opulences and get to keep them in my service. So Krishna is giving some indication here that his mercy is very, very hard to understand. All right. So let's take a look at opulences because this, is, this whole section here is about opulences. Right? I mean, Bali Maharaj had the opulences of the whole universe and then he lost all of them. And then, again, he gets them, right? The way the story goes is then Vamandev gives everything back to him, actually better than what he lost. Hmm? So what do we mean by opulences? You know, one of the names for Krishna is Bhagavan, and Van means the possessor, and Bhagavan means opulences. Now, all of us like to have opulences, yes? Anybody here want to be poor and destitute and unfortunate? Now, everybody would like to be fortunate. Everybody would like to have a life that is prosperous, right? Everybody wants blessings for some life that is prosperous. So what do we mean by prosperous? And this is uh, described very nicely. Prabhupada's often uh, quoting Parasaramuni, that the opulences are virya, which means strength, health, uh, fertility, it can mean mental strength, like it can be that's used in yoga, physical strength, health, uh, or we say fertility, having a lot of children. Then there's Sri. Sri means beauty or charismatic leadership. 
something where you're, you're radiating charisma. It can also mean being surrounded by beauty, like having artwork, and I have some nice artwork in my room. I have a beautiful photograph of Govardhan Hill on my wall, so that's very beautiful. Uh, having landscapes, you know, with fountains and beautiful music and good food, so that's Sri. And then we have Aishwarya, which Prabhupada often translates just as wealth. Aishwarya is related to the word Ishwara, and it's the opulence of having people listen to you, <laughs> of being an Ishwara, of having some... Everybody wants that, right? Don't we have people we wish would... Why don't they listen to me? So if you have the opulence of Aishwarya, then you have leadership power, you have people under your authority. All right? Then we have uh, the opulence of Gyan. So if you know a lot of things, right? Uh, I have a friend whose home is, is a library. I mean, like literally, her home is covered with bookshelves and uh, she even has those, those rolling bookshelves that you have in the library. She has those in her room. And then she has a storage area with more books. And anything I ask her, she says, let me get one of my books. So Gyan, right? That's another opulence to have knowledge. Very curious people, they like Gyan. Then Vairagya, freedom. So that's another opulence. Like if people have a job with flexible hours or they have a job where they can travel, uh, if you have a lot of autonomy in your life, uh, the, the opulence of not having a lot of possessions to worry about, uh, that's also an opulence. Uh, so freedom, renunciation, that's the strangest of the opulences uh, because that's an opulence that's much more an internal state. I mean, it can have to do with having flexible work hours and a travel schedule and not a lot of possessions, but it's also an internal state. Then there's the opulence of yasha. Yasha means that people like you and they talk about you because you're a good person. So yasha is the child in the Bhagavatam of dharma and kirti. Kirti means people talk about you and dharma means you're a good person. So yasha means they talk about you because you're a good person. So there's a lot of people that get talked about but not because they're a good person. That's just kirti. Of course, then there's, there's duskriti, infamy. Uh, yasha implies that there is some sort of community, that you have a community, because you have a family. If, if you don't have a community, if you don't have a family, then who's going to talk about you? And uh, what is the last opulence? So we have strength, beauty, um, wisdom, renunciation, fame, and what's the other one? Anybody help me out here? What's the last one? Well, Aishwarya is, Prabhupada translates as wealth, but it, it, it literally it means you have power. And you have, what's, what's that last audience? Power is, is, is Aishwarya, or strength is virya, so he said that. So we're still missing one. We have virya, shri, Shri is beauty. We had Gyan, Vairagya. Yasha, we had fame. There's still another one we're missing. What's that other one? What's the other opulence? Anybody? Renunciation, we had that, didn't we? Vairagya? Let's go through them again. So we have Virya. That's strength, health. Shri is beauty. Right? Oh, I got all of them. I did. All right. All right. Very good. Thank you. All right. We got all six. Look at that. Okay. And wealth can also mean power. 
So those are the ways that we can feel rich in the world. Right? Rich isn't just cash. We all know people who have a lot of cash and who are not very happy, like that Jeff Bezos, you know, he, he was the richest man in the world, or maybe he still is. And, you know, he had an affair. Wasn't happy, wasn't satisfied. Or, uh, you know, people who are very rich and they take a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs. That's one way you know that people are not happy. That's how we knew Hiranya Kashipu wasn't happy. He was always drunk on strong-smelling liquor. And he was also yelling at all the demigods for no reason. So we also knew he wasn't happy. Even though he had a lot of money. So we all, we all know a lot of people with a lot of money who aren't happy. And we all know a lot of people who are cash poor and who are very happy. So prosperity is not just how much cash you have, but prosperity is how much you have these opulences. Right? Avirya, Shri, uh, Vairagya, Yasha, Aishvarya, and Gana. There we go. And how much one has. And we have a different liking for different ones of them. I mean, some people really like Vairagya, and other people, they, they don't really care. You know, some people really like Gyan, and other people don't really care so much about Gyan. Kind of, you know. Some people really like Shri, other people really don't care. I mean, there's some people that don't, they don't care if there's artwork on their wall. It doesn't matter to them. So, there are different people who are attracted, because we're individuals, to different ways of being prosperous. But we all want to have a life that we feel is rich. Some people are really into Yasha, other people don't care. I mean, some people don't care what other people think of them, and they don't care if they have a community. You know, they're happy to have one or two friends, and if other people don't like them, it doesn't matter. And for other people, that's everything. You know, how many people, how many friends are following me on, on Twitter? And, you know, that, that's everything to them. Yasha is everything to them. So we have different ways of being prosperous. And we all want to be prosperous according to our own understanding. Yes, everybody wants this. We want this because as a soul, we're naturally prosperous. One of the five kinds of liberation is to have all the same opulence as the Lord. <laughs> but anyway, this is our natural position. To have, to have a sense that life is rich, to have a sense that life is prosperous, that it is satisfying, that we're blessed, that we're full of good fortune. So how do we get this good fortune? Now, as I said, it, it actually is already ours as a soul. But if we're looking externally, how do we get good fortune? Well, one thing that's mentioned, we have karma, but he is mentioned by the Lord here, is by karma. You do pious activities, and you don't do impious activities. So like with cash, how much cash we have is in direct relation to how charitable we are. And if you think about this, like, you know, let's say you have five kids and you hand a bowl of cookies. That's biscuits for any of you listening on the other side of the Atlantic. So you hand a bowl of, of cookies to one of your kids. And if that kid eats all the cookies themselves, then next time you're just going to give that kid one cookie and you're going to give the cookies to the other kids yourself. But if that kid takes a cookie for him or herself and then distributes the rest to the other siblings then you're more likely to give that child cookies in the future. Right? This is just the way it is. Right? If you see your children sharing their toys, sharing their cookies, you're more likely to give them things. So Krishna's the same way. When he sees that anything we have that's extra, we share, then he gives us more and more and more and more and more. So that's karma. 
I've done good deeds, I've given in charity, and therefore I get wealth. If I've created beauty, then I get to enjoy beauty. If I've created health, I get to enjoy health. If I've created wisdom, I get to enjoy wisdom. If I've helped people in detachment, I get to get detachment. Whatever I'm giving, I get back. And I get back uh, at least an equal measure. Like with charity, depending on the recipient of your charity, depends on how much you give back. If you just give ordinary charity, you just give to some beggar, you know, you get back an equal amount. And then the more and more and more qualified the person is that you give to, the more you get back. And I, I had a funny experience of this instant <laughs> reciprocation. I, I told the story many times. I was in New Zealand. Ajay Pataka Swami came. This was before his, his stroke. He came with a couple of assistants, and at the end of his class on the Vyasasan, he said that uh, the temple didn't pay for his travel expenses, which I knew very well, uh, being a traveling preacher at that time. You know which temples paid your airfare and which didn't. And he said, you know, this temple isn't paying my travel expenses. So if people are willing to donate for my travel expenses, that would be appreciated. So I, I didn't have a whole lot of cash at that time, but I gave him $50. I thought, well, you know, I, I know what that's like. The next day, somebody gave me $500 as a donation. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I got back 10 times over. So Prabhupada talks about that, that, you know, the more, if the higher the qualification of the person uh, the more that, that you get back. So this is karma. This is karma. And karma is pretty interesting because Rupa Goswami describes one of Krishna's qualities as dependable. And the way that Rupa Goswami defines dependable is that the demons know that if I follow the rules, Krishna is going to leave me alone. You know, a lot of people want to present a universe where... If you believe in God, you go to heaven, and if you don't believe in God, you go to hell forever. You know, that it's like the whole world is about, do you like God or not? You know, and, and we've seen some uh, narcissistic, dictatorial people like this. Right? All of us have, have known such people, or we've read about such people in the news, where everything's about, do you like me or not? If you like me, I'll give you all facility, and if you don't like me, I'm going to ruin you. And that that is the way, that's the way people think that God is, you know? Then how much prosperity you have, where you go in this life, next life, it's all about favoritism. But no, it's, it's about the rules. It's, it's not entirely a mathematical formula, because karma is as ministered by persons. Karma is administered by Yamaraj and all the different demigods. And they have some personal leeway in how they administer karma, just like a judge has some personal leeway in how he, he or she administers a sentence. Right? It's, it's, there's a, but there's a range. You know, if you commit a certain crime, maybe you just have to serve 5 to 15 years in jail. But the judge can decide how many years. Right? Or, or if you get awarded something... Uh, exactly how much money you get awarded. There, there, again, there's going to be a range legally, and that can be decided by persons. And karma is not just what we do, but it's also our motive for doing it. Right? It, it's, it's complicated. So it's both on the physical level and on the mental level. Like we're talking about charity. If you give charity with disrespect, so that puts it in the mode of ignorance. And that might not even be obvious to the person. Or if you give charity under obligation or with resentment, that's in the mode of passion, 
But again, that might not be obvious to the recipient. You know, you, you're just putting your money in the charity box or something, and it's not obvious externally that you're, oh, I'm going to be doing this because my boss is telling me to do it, and I don't really want to come to charity. And, you know, but that's taken into account as far as what kind of karmic reaction one gets. So there's some subtlety. We have the, uh, the, the subtlety. It's said that the Lord is shukshma. He's very subtle. So to this aspect of karma, and therefore karma is sometimes extremely difficult to understand. I mean, one of the oddest karmic situations is with King Riga, where King Riga was giving so much charity to fit persons that when he saw Yamaraj, Yamaraj said, you can't even estimate how much you're going to get back. You know, we can't even think about it. He said, your material enjoyment is going to be so great that we practically can't even put an end to it. it. It's just going to go on unlimitedly forever. And yet... Because some brahmanas got angry at him for a mistake, he, he wasn't even intentional, uh, therefore he got this bad karmic reaction of taking birth as a lizard. Of course, Shiva Prabhupada said that he was not very intelligent, that he, if he was intelligent, he would have said, hey, if I have unlimited good karma, then I'm never going to have to reap the result of my bad karma, and while I'm enjoying my good karma, I could become Krishna conscious and get out of the material world, so let me take my good karma first. But because he, was very, he wasn't very intelligent, he said, let me take my bad karma first. Like, you know, maybe we're going to eat the thing we don't like before we eat our dessert or something like that. So he was thinking like that. Now, in the law of karma, Krishna doesn't generally directly interfere. The, he sets up the rules, he has people to administer it, and, you know, he just, he just kind of stays back. He's neutral. He's the neutral witness as the Paramatma. I mean, he's giving advice, like Prabhupada says, if you want to go to heaven, he's giving advice to go to heaven. And if you want to go to hell, he's giving advice to go to hell. And you could say, do people want to go to hell? And the answer is yes. People want to go to hell. Uh, I remember at Woodstock that we would go to with Indra Swami, and we'd see these guys dressed like monsters. And they were listening to... I guess they call it music. I mean, it just sounded like animals growling. And so they were dressed like monsters and they were listening to music of animals growling and they wanted to be in hell. That was was what they wanted. People who want to live in very dirty, dangerous situations with, you know, everybody's always angry at each other. So there are people who want to go to hell. Anyway, Krishna gives people instructions how they can go, where they want to go and how they can get what they want to get according to the law of karma. But that doesn't mean that he likes their choices. It doesn't mean that he approves of their choices. He's simply facilitating their free will. So that's one way to get opulences. You understand the rules of the universe, which are complex and subtle and difficult and intertwined, like a banyan tree upside down. Any of you have seen a banyan tree? They're very convoluted. These laws of karma are not easy to understand. And you follow these laws of karma and you do the right thing and you don't do the wrong thing. Like elsewhere it says in the Bhagavatam, if you can do your karma perfectly for a hundred births, you can become Lord Brahma. You know, it's, it's not an easy thing. But anyway, that's one way. And most of us, through karma, get mixed results. You know, generally you get mixed results. I think most of us in our lives, if we're looking at things karmically, some things about our life are really good and other things are like, eh. 
you know, like with the six opulences, maybe someone's really smart, but their health is terrible. Or maybe someone's health is really good, but people say bad things about them. Or maybe someone knows a lot of things, but their life is very complicated. So, you know, it, 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 we generally have these sort of mixtures of things. All right, second way to get opulences, which we find throughout the Shastra, is penance, austerity, and yoga, and benedictions. So this is not quite the same as under karma. And we see many examples of persons who do great austerities, perform great penances, they go through great difficulties. And because of that, they gain some kind of power or they gain some kind of benediction from the demigods or sometimes the demons in the universe. And sometimes they do this through yoga. So a person through the Astanga yoga system they're able to change the way their uh, body and mind function. And by doing that, they're able to attract to them more opulences. So this has become quite popular at the modern day. They call it the law of attraction, that if a person just meditates on what they want, they'll get it. Now, that's not true for the average person. It's not like, oh, thank you for bringing my breakfast. Oh, my goodness, wow. Thank you so much. Pretty fancy breakfast. Yeah. Hi, Bob. So it's not that the average person just sits in their room and says, you know, red sports car, red sports car, red sports car, and they open their eyes and there's a red sports car in their driveway. You know, that, that's not how it works. But if a person is accomplished in yoga, they can do that. They have this Prapti City. You know, we have this uh, imitation Prapti City where I can go to my phone and I press a couple buttons, and then, oops, there's a new book on my phone for me to read two seconds later. You know, that's, that's our uh, modern property city. Or I press a couple buttons on my phone, and the next day, a package appears outside my door. That's my property city. And then, of course, I have to pay for it with a credit card. And the yogis, they would pay for it by their austerities. And they, would, they could attract to them any opulences they want. We have Vishramrita... Muni, who created a second heavenly planet. See, he was able to create his own heaven out of his mystic power. So this is another way of deserving. This is also within the universal laws, but it's not quite exactly karma. It's another way, though, of showing responsibility. So the reason we get opulences by good karma is we have shown to the Lord and the demigods that I'm a good person, I'm going to use blessings properly, I'm going to use prosperity properly, so therefore I should have them. Right? Because that's the following verse. That's tomorrow's verse, is that if you have opulences and use them properly, that's the real benediction. And the same is shown through austerities and yoga. You know, I'm, I'm a self-controlled person who's going to use these things properly. And another way is benedictions. So you worship someone, you know, generally they're worshiping some demigods, so they're thinking, okay, well, let's see, you know, what opulence do I want? So if I want the opulence of knowledge, I'm going to worship Sarasvati, like Keshwar Kashmiri did that. You know, he worshiped goddess Sarasvati. There's a funny story that Srila Prabhupada tells, we have it in our children's books, of this uh, princess who was extremely, extremely intelligent. And the... Uh, the king, her father, wanted her to marry a man who was equal to her in intelligence. 
So all these suitors came and they would test them and all of them failed. And uh, the ministers didn't, didn't like this girl. They, they found her to be, they felt that she was a competitor with their advice that they were giving to the king. So they found this completely foolish man and they coached him so that he would win the debate even though he was an utter and total fool. So he was able to win the debate, but then after the marriage, the woman was very easily able to understand that this man she married was a, a dumkoff, that he was a, a dunce, that he was a, a fool. So she threw him out of the house. And then he went to Sarasvati and he begged her. He said, my dear Sarasvati, my wife has thrown me out because I'm a fool. And so Sarasvati gave him these benedictions that he could be the most intelligent person. He became a very famous poet. And so she will probably tell, and his wife took him back. For those of you who are romantics, she invited him back and they lived happily ever after. And so she will probably tell us story that by the grace of a higher personality, one can get prosperity, in this case, knowledge. And we have so many cases of persons who worshipped various demigods to gain certain prosperities, right? Whether it was power, that was that uh, Vrikasura who had the power to kill anybody, <laughs> Hiranyakashipu who had all these powers, he had a whole list of powers, and sometimes they, people worship not only demigods, sometimes they worship demons to get powers. I mean, there's the famous, uh, it's not Shastra, but there's the famous story of, of Faustus, of this man who worships the devil to get powers. And so the devil awards him powers in exchange for uh, his soul. But there are also, you know, instances in the Bhagavatam of the demons worshipping Mayadhanava. And Mayadhanava builds these three spaceships that are like cities to allow the demons to conquer the universe. And of course, then uh, they are foiled by Lord Vishnu and Lord Shiva. But the, the, the demons can be worshipped also to get powers. And so when we see people who have a lot of prosperity... It may be due to their good karma, and it may be due to the benediction of some uh, demon or some demigod, or it may be due to some austerity or some yoga. That's another route. Now, Srila Prabhupada writes in the Bhagavad Gita that when we worship the demigods to gain prosperity, that's a kind of lust for something we don't deserve, or we're trying to bribe the demigods, we're trying to go around our karma. You know, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't study for the exam, I didn't get a good grade. Uh, but I'm going to bribe the professor to give me a good grade anyway. So he said this is a kind of lust. But the demigods have this ability that they can sometimes give us something that we didn't earn by our karma, and they'll say, well, you're worshipping me, so you're a good person. You're a good person, you're a responsible person, I like you, and therefore I will award you this prosperity. So then there's a third way. We talked about by, by karma, we talked about by... Penance, austerity, yoga, benedictions. And then the third way is the main crux of what's being discussed here, although Krishna in this verse is talking about karma. And that is the direct intervention of the Lord. And that's why I said this verse needs to be understood with the verse prior and the verse after it. Where the verse prior, Krishna says, if I really like you, I take away all your... Not only do I not give you more opulences, I take away what you have... And the next verse he says, but if I really, really like you, I give you all opulences and you know how to use them. Uh, so this mercy of the Lord, as I said, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur commenting on today's verse, he says the mercy of the Lord is very hard to understand. I mean, karma we can kind of get. I give charity, I'll get money. 
if I give charity, you know, if I give money, I'll get money. If I give knowledge, I'll get knowledge. If I help people gain freedom, I'll gain freedom. If I give beauty, I'll get beauty. If I follow these rules of the Shastra, then I'll get prosperity. Right? There's all kinds of rules in the Shastra. How one should act, how one should behave, what kind of occupation one should have, how one can earn one's livelihood, what are proper marriage and improper marriages, what are proper improper sexual dealings, what's proper and improper ways of earning a livelihood and dealing with money, what's proper and improper ways of dealing with superiors, with inferiors. Yeah, I can study all these rules like I can study the laws of my country and I follow them and I'm prosperous. Okay, that... I get that. I get there's other people involved and it's subtle and it's difficult and it's convoluted, but, it, it, you know, there's rules. It's, it's almost a mathematical formula. It's reasonably objective. And then I can get the penance and the yoga and the austerity and the prayers to higher beings. Okay, if I do this kind of yoga, I'll get this power. This is nicely described in the 11th canto. What kind of yoga you get do to get what power? But, you know, okay, I get that, and if I say these prayers, and I, I have this demigod's in charge of this, and this one's in charge of this, and this is in charge of this, and I have these prayers I can say, and, okay, I get that. But when it, and then I'll get these things back. Just like if I push the buttons on my phone to order an ebook, then I expect that ebook to come to my phone a minute later. Not a different ebook. And if I place an order for something on my phone or on my computer and I pay for it, then I expect the box to come outside my door, right? And I expect what's in the box to be what I ordered. And I expect it to work. Yeah, we, everybody has this experience. And if it doesn't work, then I can go online and I can say, Hey, you cheated me. It doesn't work. Oh, we're so sorry. You can return it, right? And I can put it outside my door and assign pickup for return and they take it away and they give me my money back. And it's, it's pretty clear. Yes, it's pretty clear. But when I'm working with Krishna, it's very mysterious. It's like, okay, I'm following the rules. I'm waking up early. I'm going to Mangal not eating meat, fish, or eggs. In fact, I'm offering all my food to the Lord and I even have it all cooked by devotees. I'm not having any illicit sex. Maybe I'm not even having any sex. I'm not taking any intoxication. I'm not doing any gambling. I'm chanting Hare Krishna 16 times 108 and I'm trying my best to be attentive and not offensive. I try not to offend any devotee even in my mind. I try not to hear any offenses. Oh, and I'm studying the Shastra and I got sick. And my wife left me. And my kid doesn't want to talk to me. And the town president threw me out. And I lost my job. And I got in a car accident. Why? I pushed all the right buttons on my phone and I paid for it and where's my box? I opened my box. And there's just snakes and frogs in there. What's going on? Like Prabhupada talked about how during World War II, the German women were praying to God, please save our husband, please save our father, please save our son, our brother. And they all died, and so the women became atheists. 
look around and we see, well, look at that guy. He never comes to Mangalarti. He's always offending devotees. And look at him. He's healthy. He's got a pretty wife. He's got money in the bag. What's going on here? Krishna's, how Krishna reciprocates with his devotees is very hard to understand. I was speaking yesterday to one ISKCON leader who was telling me about some other leaders who were making some problems. And I, I said to him, you know, Srila Prabhupada talked about one of his godbrothers. That one of his godbrothers ended up causing a big a legal problem after the passing of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta. Prabhupada said this godbrother wanted the properties of the Gaudiya month. And Prabhupada said, So Krishna gave him the properties. He said, But he did not get the mission. So it might look like this godbrother was benedicted that after the passing of his guru, he got the ownership of these temples and the allegiance of these people. And our Srila Prabhupada, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, was left with no money and no assistance, no institutional support, although he asked for it for years. So it might seem to us externally, well, Srila Prabhupada really didn't get any mercy. This other godbrother did, but that way was exactly the opposite. Srila Prabhupada got all the mercy, but it wasn't immediately obvious. Prabhupada spent five years being homeless, completely homeless. Then another five years of the Radha Damodar Temple, alone. Translating everything he was doing, the translation, the editing, the proofreading, arranging for the, the, collecting the donations, doing the printing, doing the distribution, everything on his own. And then he comes to America and he has just, you know, these burnt out members of the counterculture who become his disciples. I mean, you know, and, and I think we can say objectively that now Iskhan is the most powerful advocate of the Gaudiya Sampradaya in the world, due to Shiva Prabhupada. So, you know, these, the mercy of the Lord is hard to understand. It's really hard to understand. And Prabhupada, looking back, said he could understand that it was Krishna's mercy. Why? Because Prabhupada's starting of Iskhan was a completely, 100% obviously spiritual. Prabhupada didn't have any material facility to start his con. He had no money. He had no supporters. No institutional support. He was elderly, in poor health, with a strong accent. He had books published in India. The, the lines weren't even straight. The spelling wasn't right. They weren't illustrated. It was on poor quality paper. And still... Do you know why the mercy of the Lord is so hard to understand? The other day I was talking with one devotee who um, married devotee, nice lady. She wanted to have a child, so first she got pregnant and then she had a miscarriage, she lost a child. And she got pregnant again. Perfect pregnancy, absolutely no problems, perfect health. She planned for a birth at home, and then at home the the water broke, and there was what we call meconium staining, where the baby uh, passes stool in the womb. So the midwife said, "We have to transport you to the hospital." And in the hospital, she and the baby got an infection. It turned out that all the women giving birth that day in that hospital all got infections. 
And with this infection, she said she and the baby both flatlined. In other words, they both died. They had to do an emergency cesarean, and they immediately took the baby away, put it in the, uh, what we call the NICU, neonatal ICU. She couldn't touch her baby for days. She couldn't bring her baby home for like 10 days. And she said to me, why? Why? The dealings of the Lord with his devotees are very, very hard to understand. When he takes away, it's hard to understand. When he gives, it's hard. And who he gives to, who he takes away from, how he takes away, what he takes away, what he gives, how he gives. Very hard to understand. We can't put it into a formula. So I said to her, in time we'll see. I think all of us have had experience that something happens in our life that we don't understand. And we're like, why, why? And then maybe a week later or a year later, in some cases it's 20 years later. I had things happen to me that, you know, 15 years later, 20 years later, oh, that's why that happened. And for some things, it's going to take being out of the body. For some things, it's not going to be till we're out of the body and then we'll, oh, everything's perfect. But I said to her, Although we may not understand the specific reasons, the ultimate reason that anything happens to a devotee is love. When it comes to karma, there's an ultimate kind of love. And when it comes to yoga, penance, benediction, there is ultimately it's loving. Like in the government, you know, when the thief is put in jail, there's ultimately some kind of kindness on the part of the government both toward the citizenry where you don't want a thief running around and toward the thief but it's not that the judge loves the thief or the jury loves the thief not immediately but with Krishna it is immediately and fully loving what he takes away, what he gives, to whom he takes, from whom he takes away, to whom he gives, what he takes away, what he gives, when he takes away, when he gives, it's all a hundred percent only simply love. There is no other motive and there's no other reason. However, we might look at some intermediate cause and be able to see some intermediate cause. Like for me, I, I had to leave a devoted community that I wanted to stay in for the rest of my life. And 15 years later, that community imploded. It was destroyed. And we were in a very nice situation. And I realized that had we not left that community, we would have been in a terrible situation. So externally, it looks like that. But whatever it looks like externally, or sometimes, you know, you, you just meet the right person at the right time, like with our Learn to Read books, it was like that. I just would meet the right person at the right time, and here's the artist, and here's the proofreader, and here's the editor, and here's the right. And they would just come at the right time without my even trying to find them. But whether it, it's, like Prabhupada says, we all know when, when good things come by our estimation, it's God sent. We have more difficulty when bad things come or when good things are taken away that it's God sent. But why is it so mysterious, my dear friends? Because love is mysterious. 
Love is not rational. We all know that. When you love somebody, like Krishna says, Apichet Sucharacharo, even if you do something terrible, you're still my devotee if you love me. And we feel like that about people we love. If we really love someone, we overlook their bad behavior. And if we don't like people, then we overlook their good behavior. (laughs) You know, love is irrational. That's why everybody wants to be in love. Everybody wants to love someone or something. If not a person, then an animal or a cause or something. I don't know, their equipment, their technological equipment. Everybody wants to love because that feeling of surrender to the irrational and the emotional is so satisfying. We call it falling in love. You lose your head. Become a little crazy. And we love the craziness of being in love. And we love to be loved. We want someone to love us like that. We want someone to be crazy in love with us. As I was just reading the Bible Gita, they can't live a moment without being separated from the Lord. It, it's not, you can't take love and, and, and make it into a formula. I mean, yes, I know Rupa Goswami in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and Ujwala Nila Mani, he analyzes love. All right, there's, it's made of rasa, and there's five parts of rasa. There's the staibhav, there's the anubhav, there's the vibhav, there's the uh, sattvikabhav, there's the vyavichari bhavs. So to some extent you can analyze love, but to some extent you can't. What is it? If you're talking about a bhav, <laughs> you can put a name on it. How do you analyze the mango? You know, you're going to give the chemical formula? It's an experience that's beyond analysis. And that's why the mercy of the Lord on the devotee is inscrutable ultimately, because love is inscrutable. But we can say it's always beneficial. That the Lord always and only wants prosperity for his devotee. That's all. And so what may appear as being a lack of prosperity, what may appear as being a withdrawal of prosperity, when it comes to our relationship with Krishna, it's not. It's always a benediction. It's always a blessing. It's always an overflowing of benedictory, kind, loving, giving. Even the taking is actually a giving. That's not true under the law of karma and it's not true with just penance, austerity, yoga and benedictions. That's not the case. With those things you can say this is good, this is bad. But when it comes to dealing with Krishna, it's all good. Prabhupada says in the purport to 1515, God is all good, God is all merciful. Now if I'm still in a formulaic you know rule-bound, mechanistic way of thinking, I'm going to have a really hard time understanding how Krishna is dealing with me. But the more that each of us as an individual loves Krishna and becomes aware of how much Krishna loves us, 
then the more we see everything, as Prabhupada writes in Krishna book chapter 20, as being happily situated. And the more we see that I'm already in the spiritual world and I'm already blessed and I'm already blessed and I'm already blessed and I'm already blessed. And everything is a blessing. Everything is prosperity. Everything is kindness. Everything is love. Everything is mercy. So I think we can end now if there's any questions. And if you want me to show you my Bali Marsh PowerPoint, I guess... I could do that too. It would take me take me a couple minutes to get it up. Uh, but in the meantime, if anybody has any questions, thank you, Krishna. Thank you so much uh, for a wonderful presentation, bringing it to a very nice conclusion, which was uh, so appropriate and very illuminating. So, do audience would you like to ask any questions or comments? Please, please feel free to unmute yourself, Hare Krishna, and you can show your presentation. No problem. We can take the time. Any questions? Nobody has any questions? Or are they coming up in the chat window? Hi, Krishna. Hi, Krishna. Mataji, very much. Beautiful class. Very special. Prabhupada's empowering you. Speaking perfectly. And, uh... You're illustrating the real problem of, of our misperception of Krishna's love, because we don't—we're not seeing clearly. We might see, we might have some kind of doubt that maybe something wrong is happening. Very interesting, and of course, we have a choice on our part to desire properly. Sometimes people don't—even if they're praying, they don't know what to pray for. Right? Yes. We pray for some ridiculous. <laughs> you probably know that story of the the uh, atheist with the grizzly bear. You know that story, Papadil? No, no. It was an atheist who never prayed and never believed in the existence of God. And he's going in the forest, and this grizzly bear comes after him. Right? He didn't know what to pray for. He didn't know how to pray. But in that dangerous situation with a bear chasing him and almost catching him. He was thinking, maybe I just pray to God, you know, and he tripped, and the bear was about to pounce on him, and he said, Krishna, uh, please make the bear a devotee. He thought that was a good thing to pray for, and then the bear said, Sadi Rana Vijaja. Did Prabhupada tell that story? <laughs> but the, you know, we don't know what to pray for, but when we pray, when we understand appropriately that if we just desire serve Krishna to please Krishna then our perception is clear and uh, we get something that's worth it not some superficial ridiculous anyway no the deities are open I want to make such a long discussion oh, glory to Prabhupada Krishna thank you very much we love you oh, sorry Krishna so if the deities are open now should I just stop or should I show this other PowerPoint you'll let your presentation no problem I should do that okay the temple program is going on on this side the temple program is going that well. The deities opened here right when this class started. So let's see. And oh, I have to. Okay, so I, I gotta do it another way. So I share and I.
basic, this one, that advanced. Okay, we're gradually figuring this out, how to do this. Pretty good. All right. So this is the Das Avatar Sloka. Chalayasi Vikramane Balimad Bhutavamana Padanakanira Danita Janapavana Keshavadrita Vamana Rupa Jaya Jagadish. Right, so this is Vamande. My Balimaj is doing a great sacrifice. Right, so he could take over the heavenly planets. And then blowing his conch shell, he attacks Indra's kingdom. And Brahaspati said, just take other forms and leave. <laughs> You're not going to get anything. And then Aditi is doing uh, penance and austerity. And the Lord says, don't worry, I'll become your son. Right? And then Vamadeva appeared from the womb with conch shell, disc, club, and lotus. He appeared in an auspicious moment, and everyone in the three worlds was happy. And all the different uh, demigods, they all gave gifts to Vamandev. Uh, then, wearing a belt of munja straw, an upper garment of deerskin, and a sacred thread, carrying an umbrella and a water pot, he appeared in the sacrificial arena of Bali Maharaj. And after washing the Lord's feet, Bali Maharaj immediately accepted the water from the Lord's feet on his head, and he felt that he and his predecessors had been glorified. Then Bali asked of Lord Vamandev's welfare and requested the Lord ask him for money, jewels, or anything he wanted. Then Vamandev begged Bali for three paces of land, and Bali agreed. And Sukracharya, who could understand that Vamandev was Vishnu, he forbade Bali to give this land. He said, Withdraw your promise. And he said that if you're joking or you're going to marry someone or you're in danger, you can lie. After hearing Sukracharya's instructions, Balimars became contemplated because it's the duty of a householder to maintain the principles of religion, economic development, and sense gratification. He thought, I don't want to withdraw my promise to the brahmachari. He said, to lie or fail to honor a promise given to a brahmachari is not proper. Mother Earth can bear anything but a liar. The spreading of a kingdom or empire is temporary, he says. If there is no benefit for the general public, such expansion has no value. He said, while doing all these things, people have even sacrificed their lives. Better to be glorious. He thought, even if this brahmachari is Lord Vishnu, if the Lord accepts my charity and then again arrests him, I won't be angry at him. Considering all these points, Bali Marsh finally gave in charity everything he possessed. Vamandev then expanded himself into a universal body. Bali could see that the Lord is all-pervading and everything rests in his body and he could see that Vamandev is a supreme Vishnu. The Lord gradually covered the entire surface of the world and by extending his body, he covered the entire sky. With his hands, he covered the directions. With his second footstep, he covered the entire upper planetary system. 
There was no vacant place where he could take his third footstep. With the second step, the Supreme Personality of God had reached the topmost planet of the universe, Brahmaloka, which he diminished in beauty by the effulgence of his toenails. Thus, Lord Brahma, accompanied by great sages like Parichi and the predominating deities of all the higher planets, offered humble prayers and worship to the Lord. They washed the Lord's feet and worshipped him with all paraphernalia. Jambavan played his bugle to vibrate the glories of the Lord. The Lord's footstep exceeded the height of all the lokas. His nails pierced the covering of the universe and made a hole penetrating into the spiritual world. From this hole, the water of the Ganges infiltrated into the material world. When Bali was deprived of his possessions, the demons were very angry. Although Bali warned them not to do so, they took up weapons against Lord Vishnu. All of them were defeated by Lord Vishnu's eternal associates. Bali ordered them to enter the lower planets of the universe. Understanding Lord Vishnu's purpose, Garuda immediately arrested Bali Marj with the ropes of Varuna. When Bali was reduced to a helpless position, Vishnu asked him for the third step of land. Because Lord Vishnu appreciated Bali Marj's determination and integrity, when Bali was unable to fulfill his promise, Vishnu said, the place for you would be the planet Sutala, was better than the planets of heaven. Bali Maharaj said, O best, personality of Godhead, most worshipable, if you think that my promise has become false, I shall certainly rectify matters to make it truthful. I cannot allow my promise to be false. Please, therefore, place your third lotus footstep on my head. stop there. I hope that you all enjoyed that. I hope you could all also hear the music. Yes. So I think now we will stop. Thank you very much. So I can eat my breakfast. Um, and I have another class in a little while. So I think I should get going. But thank you very, very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. Bali Maharaj Ki Jai. Thank you very much. Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Thank you for taking out your time and it was an amazing presentation especially below the conclusion how Krishna's love is so like inconceivable. So it was a new light for the whole pastime. So thank you so much. Thank for you. Thank you.